Well, hello. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the Long Point campus. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues or at an off-site campus. We are glad that you're here to worship with us today, kicking off the new year. So did you have a Merry Christmas? Yes. Some of y'all got some new digs on. You're looking good. Excited about that. Ran into a friend of mine last night at the service that didn't just get one, two, but a whole package of bacon-flavored lip balm. It was a guy. I know some of you guys are thinking, I want to meet that girl. Who is that? It was a man, and he's actually very excited about his lip balm. My my wife got me admission to the Boone Hall Maniac Mud Run. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you think that's comical. I was a little startled as well. Um, I didn't know if it was an act of love or if she was trying to remind me that I turned 30 this year and it's time to up my game a little bit, so I'm getting ready for training. Our, uh, our three-year-old actually got a tent from his nanny, which we are very excited about, uh, until I came home last week and it was set up in his bedroom. And uh, a small tent in a small room pretty quickly becomes a big tent, and now he refuses to sleep uh, or nap anywhere else. And so uh, jury's out on if this is going to be a lifelong issue or not, but I'll, I'll keep you updated on what happens there. Well, listen, I want to congratulate you. Whether you know it or not, you've already made one of the best decisions that you could make moving into 2012. Choosing to be here in the church, hearing God's word, worshiping with the body of Christ is a big deal. And the foundation that you're setting, what you're communicating is you want the Lord and the church to be a part of your life in some capacity in 2012. Regardless of what your church attendance looked like last year, whether you just attended here at Seacoast or if you were actively engaged in community and mission, uh, it's a new year. And the great theologian Woody Allen uh, once said that 90% of life is just showing up. And so I want to encourage you to do that, to stay faithful. I believe if you'll you'll show up, you may not feel like you have vision or direction for your life. Uh, You may feel far, far from the Lord. It may be awkward coming here to sing with a bunch of people or, or closing your eyes to pray or heaven forbid we ask you to hold your neighbor's hand. I guess for some of you that could be a blessing depending on where you, you sat. But if you'll come with an open heart and an open mind wanting to hear from the Lord, I believe that you'll find that He's a loving Father and a faithful friend, a mighty King who loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Amen? All right, well, kicking off our service, what I'd like to do is just have you take your hands and put them over your heart. And I want to pray that that would be a seed God would plant in your heart uh, here on the first day of the year uh, that we would see just take root in your life, that this would be a place that you call home uh, and, and see the Lord use you to do more than you could ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for fresh starts, for second chances. We praise you, God, for a new year. I pray that every person here today, Father, would see you cultivate in their lives in 2012 a vision, a burning passion uh, to walk with you, to know you, uh, to see you do more in their lives than they could ask or imagine. So I pray that a year from now, God, we would come together and be in awe, Father, of the work that you've done in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So are you excited about the new year? Yes, honestly, it's one of my favorite times of year. Something about fresh starts and second chances really just resonates with me, uh, in part because it, it is my story, a story of second chances. And you may not know it or not, but it's your story <laughs> as well. The Bible tells us there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. And man, I spent a good portion of my life seeking after relationships and things and stuff that I thought could bring me happiness that I thought could bring me life only to leave me empty and and longing and wanting for more uh, to fill me until I found Jesus. Man, I'm thankful for new life and for second chances. Something about ringing in the new year with the body stirs up hope within all of us of the things that we didn't attain last year. You know, the relationships that we hope to find, the people that we hope to meet, 
the jobs that we hoped to have, the places that we wanted to go, the things that we wanted to do that, that, that didn't get accomplished yet could somehow be attained in a new year. How many of you typically set New Year's resolutions? A few of you. Okay. A handful, maybe like five. That says a lot about us here. Well, I did a little resolution research in preparing for the message, and here's what I found. Okay, the top ten resolutions set by Americans every January. Here they are. The first of which is to lose weight. Some websites actually said to tame the bulge. (laughs) I thought, man, if you've got to come up with a trendy nickname for losing weight, there may be a problem. (laughs) It makes it sound like you're on some kind of wild adventure to try to tame some animal that's been running rampant in your pantry. (laughs) Time to lose weight. Okay. Uh, Spend more time with family and loved ones. Manage debt or save money. Get a better job. Not exactly one you hear talked about around the office. Walters, what are you doing this year? (laughs) Getting out of here, man. (laughs) I'm getting a better job, you know. Let me know how that works for you. Enjoy life more. Get fit. Get a better education and or learn something new. Drink less alcohol. Quit smoking. Reduce stress or take a trip. Now, there's a little bit of overlap in some of these resolutions. Uh, Getting fit could happen if you decided that you were going to stop smoking and drink less and and work out a little more. It could ultimately allow you to enjoy life a little bit more. Getting a better job could help you at saving money, maybe allow you to go on a trip, but could ultimately produce more stress in your life. Something about it. It's a complicated mess, but it stirs up something in me that wants to just jump in. I want to go for it. As I think about the areas of my life that need improvement, the amount of sleep I get, the food I eat, the amount that I I work out or amount that I, I don't work out, there's definitely plenty of work for me to do. But if I'm honest, I don't know that I've ever actually accomplished a resolution. Statistics say that only about 12% of people do, leaving 88% of us to fail. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? Makes you want to just start writing them out, right? I also found in preparing for the message that men actually accomplish their resolutions 22% more than women. I know. So listen, ladies, I'm fixing to drop some knowledge. Okay, I want, because I care, uh, I want to see you equipped to accomplish everything that you want to see the Lord do in your life this year. So I want to give you the secret. Here it is. Men set the bar really low. Okay? <laughs> let, me give you, let me give you just a few examples so you can know where we're going here. Just a few examples. Women say, I want to learn something new this year. And in your mind, you're thinking, I want to pick up the violin or... I'm going to learn the piano. When a guy says, I'll, actually, I had a friend here at the church in 2011. His wife picked up quantum physics. <laughs> Dug through some old textbooks. The only picking up of quantum physics I've ever done is maybe moving someone else's textbook. Okay? Picked it up. When a guy says, I want to learn something new, he wakes up in the morning and thinks, hmm, I wonder who won the game last night. <laughs> Resolution accomplished. Okay? A woman says, I want to go on a trip this year. And by that she means, I would love to travel down the coast of California. Maybe we could backpack through Italy, spend a a weekend in New York City. When a guy says, I want to go on a trip this year, he thinks, huh, how about we go up the road and check out that new Italian place? (laughs) That'd be great. Well, whether you're the kind of person uh, that sets resolutions or not, here's what I know at the top of your outline sheets. God's plans for me this year are based on the person that I could be and not the person that I have been. Say that one more time. God's plans for me this year are based on the person that I could be, not the person that I have been. This is the reason that we're moved to set New Year's resolutions, the hope of what could be. 
There's a tension, a dissatisfaction between the person that we have been and the person that we could be. Between the life that we have experienced and the life that we could experience. The Apostle Paul was familiar with this tension and he resolved, he committed himself to pursuing something that each of us struggle with. Instead of stressing and striving to bring about change in a bunch of different areas of his life, Paul committed himself to one. Check out what he wrote in Philippians 3 at the top of your outlines. He said, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul committed himself to one thing. Instead of stressing and striving to produce changes in a bunch of different areas of his life, And as a result, he saw God do some amazing things through him, experienced more than he could have asked or imagined, and saw all that God had for him. So the question then for us as we head into a new year is, how can I embrace, how can I experience all God has for me in 2012? Well, if we dig into Philippians 3, I believe we see three attributes in Paul's life that if we'll lean into and allow to take root in our hearts and our life will help us embrace all God has for us. The first of which is a humble spirit. A humble spirit. Go to the top of your outline and underline, I do not consider. I do not consider. Paul said, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Several things here. I asked, what was the it for Paul? That he didn't consider himself to have taken hold of it. Made me think about our lives. You know, as you think through your, your calendar or your checkbook for this year, if we were to look at where the majority of your time and energy and resources went, what was the it for you in 2011? Was it a role or a relationship? Uh, a person, a place in your life that consumed the majority of you. To see what it was for Paul, we have to go back to verse 10, and this is what he says. I want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The it for Paul was knowing Christ. And I love how he qualifies that here. He says, the power of His resurrection. Is his resurrection power in our lives that conquers sin once and for all. Paul is saying, I want to know the power that conquers sin because up to this point in his life, it had been a struggle. Man, Paul had battled to conquer sin in his life. In Romans 7, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Paul was saying, I want to know the power of God that can help me conquer sin. There we are. It's kind of bad when you lose your place on this deal. It really wrecks the whole deal. <laughs> Remember who we're talking about here, the Apostle Paul. He saw the resurrected Jesus on the point of his conversion. He wrote 14 of the epistles in the New Testament. 14 of the books that we read were authored by him. He went on three missionary journeys. He planted dozens of churches. In fact, at one point in the book of Acts, it says that the Holy Spirit was so heavily upon Paul that handkerchiefs that he touched were taken to the sick and they were healed. This hero, this giant of the faith, was saying that he struggled with sin. There were areas of his life that he so desperately needed, that he so desperately wanted to overcome, that he needed the resurrection power of Jesus. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but I do want you to answer the question. In 2011, did you struggle to conquer sin in your life? See, not only did Paul profess that he struggled with it, but he wrote it in the letter that's laid bare for eternity for all to see. He was willing to talk openly about it. I'm not going to ask you to do that either, but you do need to ask, am I willing to talk openly about my sin with someone in my life? Because what Paul is showing us here is that there's more available for us. There is freedom in confession and walking with Christ. And he was willing to not only share, but confess that 
to others. It was such a bold, such a humbling proclamation for Paul to make. He goes on to say, the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. The Bible tells us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Paul knew that at some point in following Christ, he may be required to suffer, to deny himself, to die to himself. This is the imagery the Bible gives us of marriage. It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're all very much aware of the blessings and the benefits of marriage. But man, it's a struggle to remember every day the call, the invitation to come and die, to deny yourself that you would serve your spouse. Again, keep in mind who we're talking about here. In 2 Corinthians 11, we read an account of Paul's suffering. It'll be up on the screen for you. It says this, I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 40 minus one lashes, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night at open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country and at sea, and in danger from false believers. Yet somehow, through all of the the miracles that Paul experienced, through all of the suffering that he had been through, he says, Brothers... I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. This shows us not only how humble Paul was, but how great our God really is. See, on his journey with Christ, on his walk with the Lord, the closer that he got to him, the more and more he realized how broken and sinful he really was. He desperately needed God. But in light of that, the closer he got to him, he realized just how great, just how forgiving, just how gracious, just how loving God really was. Check out these verses on your outline sheet. The Lord sustains the humble, but He casts the wicked to the ground. Circle the word sustains for me. The Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with victory. Circle the word victory there. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Circle lift you up. Now how many of you would like to experience victory? Would like to be sustained? Would like to see the Lord Himself lift you up? in a new year. You may have battled an addiction in 2011 that you would love to have victory over. Maybe 2011 was a year of survival in your marriage and you would love nothing more than to experience the abundant life that Christ came to offer. Maybe you you battled against medical issues or financial issues and you strained and exhausted yourself to make ends meet and you would love nothing more than to see God himself provide for you in this new year. It's so countercultural, so seemingly irrational that the answer to the question, how could I embrace, how could I experience all God has for me in 2012, could be humility. So how can you have a humble spirit this year? Two ideas for you, both of which are, are rooted in Matthew 10:24. It says this, A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Having a humble spirit is just as much about the positioning of your flesh as it is the posture of your heart. Having a humble spirit is just as much about the positioning of your flesh as it is the posture of your heart. So to help kind of seal this in your mind for you, i got two visuals here. The first of which is my first grade daughter, Abigail's school desk. Um, The uh, principal at the school was a friend of ours. I went to pick it up, and as we turned it upside down, it came complete with a wad of green gum right here up under the desk. I'm going to have to talk with Abigail about. Uh, The other thing is I went to clean out the desk and inside found a black men footy sock. (laughs) <laughs> so guys, if you're wondering where your socks are, you might want to walk your, uh, your kid into school 
one day. Uh, but just making some observations here at a school desk. No student is above his teacher. Okay, what kind of stuff typically happens at a school desk? The first of which here is as an adult, it, it's a little awkward. You know, my legs don't quite fit under it, which is a good lesson for us to learn. If you look cool being humble, there's a good chance you're doing it wrong. <laughs> okay, uh, but what kind of stuff happens at a school desk? The first of which is we, we receive instruction. We're told what to do. Because when we put ourselves in the position of student or, or learner, uh, we receive instruction. So the teacher may say, I want you to get out your notebooks. Uh, you're going to write a one-page essay today on, on how your weekend was, and I want you to use the words fabulous and frustrated. It's like, wow, okay, here we go. You know? uh, you're told, I want you to finish that worksheet. Uh, Josh, I would like for you to color inside the lines. Josh, I would like for you to wake up. You know? <laughs> I mastered that one in school. I had a few positions uh, that I copyrighted, the first of which is the thinking intently reading pose like uh, you know, required a lot of balance but i got i got pretty good another one is the outright rebellion that's just you know that one right there uh another one is we we ask questions uh, we don't assume the right to do what we want or assume that we know the best way uh could could you help me on this worksheet uh i'm having a little trouble figuring out number four or uh could you, you tell me what to do next i finished this one would you like for me to turn it in you know, as I think about our lives, I think a lot of us are typically really good at answering questions. But it requires a different level of, of humility uh, for us to ask good ones. When you think about your marriage, maybe you've been married a few years and you see a couple who's been married 10, 20, 30 years and man, they, they like each other, they're holding each other's hands, they flirt with each other, they're on mission here at the church. And man, if you're honest, there's a lot of times where you don't really even like your spouse, you know? So what if you ask that couple, hey, listen, I see you together, and man, I want you to help me cultivate a vision for a lifelong marriage. When I see y'all, I'm like, oh, I want that. Or maybe there's a stay-at-home mom that you know, and, and some of you ladies, you feel called to do it. And there was a season where I stayed at home, and man, it is the hardest thing in the world. You're like, I feel called to do it, but it's killing me. And you see a mom that just does it really well. You're like, hey, could you, could you just speak some wisdom into my life that would help me do that? Or maybe spiritually, when you got here this morning and you were worshiping, there may some be, be, be some people around you that, man, when they worship, they are just engaged. They got energy and passion. You're singing along, but it's like, man, they got their fists pumping and they're smiling and laughing. It's like, man, I want some of what he had. Was that a different coffee container? You know, like, what is that? You ask them, hey, listen, I see you worship, man, and it is just passionate and beautiful. Is there anything that you would speak into my life to help me just grow in that area? Or maybe your prayer life. For me, man, maybe it's a struggle for you to make it through staying focused in the prayer at the dinner table. You're thinking like, all right, what am I going to eat first, mashed potatoes or broccoli? You're thinking about the food. But you see some folks go and pray, and it's like, man, they go away, and they have a conversation with somebody. Like they come back with instructions. They come back encouraged. They're a different person. It's like, man, is there anything that you would speak into my life to help me grow in this area? I think about Jesus with the disciples. He was the master teacher with the disciples. The word disciple there literally means learner. And his invitation for them was to come and follow me. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible actually says that, that he is the potter and we are the clay. Well, I think a lot of times what happens in our lives is that we like to just get our hands dirty. We like to get involved in the work of life change and changing things about our life instead of staying focused intently on following him and let him bring about change in our lives. I can't think of a more meaningful position, a more powerful posture going into a new year than that of student or learner everyone has something to teach everyone in your life has something to teach not just those you deem worthy of being taught by 
So that's the first visual for you. The second of which is a wash basin. It says, no student is above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Now, feet washing isn't really something that, that uh, we see very much. Actually, there's a bit of a cultural disconnect uh, for us. Maybe you saw it done at a wedding or have been on a missions trip where a, a team would do it just to serve one another for team building. Uh, in the book of John, when, Je- when Jesus was preparing for the Passover meal, says he took off his outer garments and wrapped a towel around him. Uh, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Now, until your flesh is put in a, a posture, until you're put in a position where you're really required to serve someone, you don't think of a lot of the, the questions of the state of humility that it, it demands of you. Even in feet washing, it seems silly, but it's like, man, do I talk to them while they're washing their feet? Do I look them in the eyes? Do I get all up between their toes? You know? It's just a weird question, but when you find yourself washing some foot, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is awkward. What do I do? A little more relevant example for you. A few years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church in Columbia and uh, went out to a high school one day and, and met a guy, and he looked visibly discouraged. I mean, just down on his face. He was in a, a wheelchair, and uh, he was actually paralyzed from the neck down. He had just enough motor skills of his hands that he could control the chair. And I uh, sat down just to talk with him and hear his story. turns out that his... Uh, uh, he was on ESPN's top 10 high school uh, recruits for college. He was a quarterback. He was playing football in the backyard with some of his friends, and he was undercut, landed on his neck, and was paralyzed from the waist down, from the neck down. His brother was actually a college football quarterback at one of the leading schools in the country that happens to be in Columbia. Yes. Carolina joke. You got it. That's good. I'm proud of you. So we get to talking, and I... Uh, I asked him if he wants to go out to lunch one day, and he said, sure. So I called his mom, and she said, yeah, that's great. Why don't you come over to our house and borrow our van so that you can load him up to take him to eat? And I was like, oh, of course. I don't want thinking about how he'd get in the car. So we go go to eat, and he says he wants Mexican, which is home run for me. That's my favorite. We get there, and it's about the time that we pull up to the table, and the waiter brings us uh, water and chips and salsa that I realized he has no motor skills. He's not going to be able to take a bite of his taco. He's not going to be able to dip a chip in the salsa so anything that i that he eats i'm gonna have to serve him and man if you would have asked me you know josh are you humble you know maybe a good way to tell that somebody's not if they say yes i am you know <laughs> but i was a pastor i had taught a lot on humility i knew a lot of verses on humility i could identify it quickly in my life when pride or arrogance lashed out i thought i was humble man until i had to sit down and feed this guy chips and salsa i realized that i don't have a clue Because all of a sudden, it wasn't about how people were looking at me or how long they stared at me or what they thought about me. I had postured myself fully on caring for this guy. My concern was, I don't want to give him too big a bite. I don't want to give him too little. Would you like a sip of water? I had positioned myself to serve him. My only concern was caring for him. So what could it look like for you to have a humble spirit this year? A few examples for you, a few ideas. First of which is at home becoming a student of your spouse. Or maybe if you're not married, becoming a student of your roommate. Uh, For me, this is easy. Guys, if there's hot buttons, things that you do that just drive your wife crazy, uh, one for me is shoes. Uh, I don't know how it happens. Well, I do know how it happens. Thursday morning, for example, the trash man comes way too early. So I'll jump out of bed, slide on some shoes, run out to take the trash to the road, run inside, change shoes, start getting ready for the day, decide, eh, I don't want to wear those shoes, I'll wear these. And uh, go to work, come home, put on tennis shoes to play with the kids, and all of a sudden there's four pairs of shoes <laughs> on the floor by my bed. You know, being a student of your spouse, I could realize, you know what? 
That drives her crazy. <laughs> and it still does. So I'm working on that. Haven't gotten there, but I'm working on it. Or maybe if you have a roommate um, that hates doing the dishes and you just see, man, they dread doing the dishes. You see it on them. Being a student of them would show that, you know what? Hey, I want to serve them in that way. Or maybe for some of you at work, there may be people that, that always seem to get more sales than you. They're more successful. They make more money. They seem to maintain more relationships. What if this year, if the posture of your heart shifted from competing with that person to learning from them? What if you went to them and affirmed the good that they do? Say, man, you just knock it out of the park here. Is there anything that you would speak into my life to help teach or sharpen me? This is not going to be easy. Oftentimes it is going to be very difficult. I was reminded of Philippians 2.8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's going to require us on some level, the more and more that we posture ourselves as a student or as a servant, it's going to require us to die to ourselves. It doesn't make sense. I can't explain how it works, but I can assure you, in order to embrace all God has for me in 2012, I will need a humble spirit. So back to Philippians 3, he says, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Underline the word forgetting there for me. The second thing that we will need to embrace all God has for us in 2012 is a forgetful mind. Now, some of you ladies right away are thinking, I don't think it's physically possible for my husband to be any more forgetful than he already is. <laughs> so guys, you got to know, this isn't a pass to forget birthdays or anniversaries or picking up your kids <laughs> or anything like that. Check out these verses on your outline sheet. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past, Isaiah 43. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 The Bible seems to communicate that both in our life experiences and our circumstances, as well as our spiritual lives, that we are to forget the past. This isn't in any way to belittle any of the things that you've been through. Many of you this year have, have lost loved ones. Uh, you've been laid off of jobs. You've battled medical issues. You've gone through financial situations that you are never going to be able to forget. So what is Paul saying here? One thing that he does, of the many things that he puts his hands and his heart and his head to every day, one thing he does, forgetting what is behind. This is what I think Paul's communicating to us. As Christ followers, it's sinful for us to look at the finished work of Jesus on the cross and identify ourselves with anything other than him. It's sinful for us to look at the finished work of Jesus on the cross and identify ourselves with anything other than him for the good or the bad, regardless of how good your sales were last year, how well your investments did, how successful your, your children are, how many times you attended church, how many times you read your Bible, how much money you made, saved, or gave away. Isaiah 64 tells us that our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Compared to the goodness of God and the finished work of Jesus on the cross, at the beginning of every year, we ought to draw a line in the sand. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not change, but our circumstances will. Just because we experienced break, breakthrough in 2011 does not mean that we won't experience breakdown in the next. Being a Christ follower in no way entitles us to a life that is up and to the right. When we put stock in our successes, when we put stock in the good things that we've done, we tend to trust in ourselves more and trust in the Lord less. So if we're supposed to forget, if we're supposed to put away the, the good things, how much more should we forget the bad? The hope of a new year is found in what could be. And when you carry the weight of your sin into a new year, the pain that you caused others, 
the frustration or failure from a job that you lost, the anger from a marriage that didn't work out. You identify yourself with your defeat instead of Jesus' victory. John 10.10 says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Man, when Katie and I first got married, I focused on the second half of that verse. He's come that we might have abundant life. I mean, man, that was something. We, we carved it into our driveway. I took pictures of it and made art of it for our house. We loved the vision of an abundant life in Christ. So much so that we forgot we were in a battle. And man, it almost killed us. The enemy stole from us and nearly reaped a harvest of death and destruction. You talk about needing to have a forgetful mind. God was calling us to a new day, to a new work. But it was going to require us not to meddle in the past to put it behind us and press on towards a new day. So if we want to be found faithful and not foolish, heading into 2012 with a forgetful mind, how can we do it? A few ideas for you. The first of which is to turn your problems into praises. Romans 8 tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love God. There is a purpose for your pain. God has a plan for your life. I love what Pastor Greg always says, that God has been at work on a solution before you even knew there was a problem. That is good news for us today. We can turn our problems into praises, trusting that we have a loving Father who is going to care for us and provide for us. second thing that we can do is turn our successes into sacrifices. Turn our successes into sacrifices. In Philippians 3, Paul says, Whatever was to my gain, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. If any perceived wins you experienced this year didn't give you greater access to or knowledge of what it looks like to walk with Christ, to have a relationship with Him, then my question for you is, was it really a win? Craig Rochelle says, Our greatest fear should not be failure, but succeeding at things that don't matter. I love that quote. Praise God for the good that He's done in and through you in 2011 and every day for that matter. But let's lay the awards and the accomplishments and the accolades at His feet. Third thing that we can do is to take our thoughts captive. I tried to come up with some fancy way to alliterate that here like the first two, but the only thing I could come up with is take your conscience captive. I don't even really know what that means. <laughs> and so take your thoughts captive. There's times when I'm riding down the road. You talk about needing to forget the past. I'll start rehearsing a conversation or a situation and find myself just gripping the steering wheel, you know, burning my tooth. I'm like, the Bible says to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And I'm giving them a whooping in my mind. You're like, oh, come on. And I wish I would have slapped them. And I don't even slap people, you know. But the Bible says to take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. I'm reminded of our one-year-old, Asher. That cat loves timeout more than any other baby in the world. He'll go to climb up the stairs. And I'll say, Asher, didn't... <laughs> you know? Asher, don't climb on the... Oh, gosh. You know? Somebody told me recently that babies hear the first word and the last word. So I've said, Asher, up the stairs, go, no. You know, he looks at me like, what are you talking about? You know? But it's not working. There's times where I physically have to grab him, take him captive, and take him somewhere else. You may have to turn off the radio, turn off the TV, and get on your face to pray, to surrender a thought or rehearsing a situation to the Lord. Whatever you have to do to wrestle those thoughts to the ground, we're going to have to have a forgetful mind. So it's going to take a humble spirit. It's going to take a forgetful mind. And lastly, it's going to take a determined heart. Paul said, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
I love the language that Paul uses here. He says, straining forward, we press on. Go to the front of your outline sheets for me and underline the words press on. This phrase here in the Greek literally means to move rapidly and decisively towards an object with focused determination. It's these same words that are used in 1 Corinthians 15.9 and in Galatians 1.13 in reference to Paul's persecuting of the church. With focused determination, he used to seek out Christians to arrest them, uh, to persecute them, to kill them. He now, using those same words, focuses that energy on pursuing Christ. In order to embrace all God has for me in 2012, I will need a determined heart. What is the last thing that you were determined to do? The last thing that you were so committed to winning that you would have described your effort as straining. Man, for me, anything physical comes to mind. (laughs) If i got to run upstairs to get a passy or a jacket or get a kid, I'm going to come down winded because there's some degree of straining involved. Spiritually, I think about my wife in the area of generosity. Uh, I'm so thankful for the covenant of marriage because as much as I want to be generous, I'm just not. I'll still give things to people and on the outside it'll look like, here, I want you to have this. But on the inside, there's this war going on and it looks more like, oh gosh, take it. <laughs> you know, it's just a battle. Man, I strain to do it. A few days ago, I was at a gas station and uh, this guy behind me in line said, man, I like them jeans, man. Where'd you get them jeans? I'm like, oh man, I don't know, Marshalls maybe, I don't know. And uh, I was like, thanks, you know, appreciate it. And I was walking out of the gas station. And sure enough, the Lord said, why don't you give him your pants? <laughs> I was like, give him my pants? I was like, Lord, why not my jacket? I got a shirt on under it. You know, I'm going to give him my pants. I can't do that. And so uh, I go to get in my car. And I'm like, was that really the Lord? Did you just say, was that bad burritos? I, you know. And so the guy walks out of the gas station and we make eye contact. And I'm like, oh gosh, what am I? <laughs> really? <laughs> so I get in my car. I'm like, no, that wasn't the Lord. No way. And so I go to pull out of the parking lot and God said, you know what? I'm not going to make you do it. You have an opportunity to be generous here. I'm going to let you decide. So I was like, oh, this is the straining coming out. So I was like, all right. So I turn the car around and pull up behind him. And there is no way to give a grown man, a stranger in public, your pants. Okay. And so I pull up behind him. like, I'm going to have to qualify this a little bit. And so walk up to him and say, listen, um, I'm a Christian and... Sometimes the, the Lord asks me to do things that I, I don't understand. And when I was walking out of the gas station, I'm trying to make this as cool as possible, you know, I'm walking out of the gas station, I felt like he told, asked me to give you my pants. <laughs> and uh, like I don't have any other pants to put on right now, so I was thinking I could take them home and wash them and maybe get your phone number and name and, and we could meet up, you know. <laughs> So I could give you my pants. <laughs> and the guy said, man, that would be awesome. And I was like, whoo. <laughs> I did not see that going that way. You know, That was a good deal. Oh, I love it. Well, I can't think of a better phrase to describe our walk with Christ than straining forward, we press on. Straining forward, we press on. Check out these verses on your outline sheet. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. We are called, we're invited to walk with Him, to know Him in such a way that we have the discernment, we have the knowledge to do everything written in this book. That verse, pray without ceasing, that phrase there literally means without intermission. 
And I don't know how many of you enjoy the ballet or the opera, but I live for the intermission. I'm like, man, get me a Coke and a cookie. (laughs) I want to go play on my phone, go on a walk, anything. Get me out of here. The challenge that he extends is real. So much so, it's more than anything that we can do on our own. It's going to demand the work of the Holy Spirit working inside of us, equipping us to do what he's called, and a heart that is determined to wage war against our flesh, a heart that's committed to knowing him. So how could we have a determined heart in our pursuit of him this year? A few ideas for you. The first of which is uh, next Sunday we'll be starting a 21-day fast here at the church that we've done the past few years. A fast is simply denying yourself of something that you enjoy so that you can delight in the Lord. A lot of us typically do some kind of food fast, maybe the Daniel fast. There'll be more information about that for you on the city. Um, Katie and I gave up coffee a few years back, and man, it is almost an accessory for me. Uh, We'd put the kids down at like 7.30 and no coffee, man. I was dragging by 8 o'clock. We got to go to bed. It was tough. My kids this year are going to be fasting from the Wii. They don't know that yet, but I'm going to share that (laughs) when we get home. But the win of it is the breaking down of your flesh and the building up of your spirit. Denying yourself of something that you can enjoy so that you could spend a portion of that time delighting in the Lord, whether it's in the Word or in prayer, uh, drawing closer to Him. Second thing that you could do, a few years ago, Pastor Greg started the Daily Wisdom Challenge, which was essentially uh, a Twitter Bible study where everybody who followed him on Facebook or Twitter would message in either the verse that they read that day or some nugget of wisdom uh, that they learned. The win here for us is that at the end of the year, if I asked you what was your it, that you could say, man, it was knowing Christ. Life's going to happen. There's going to be days where you forget to read your Bible, where you oversleep, where you're sick, where your kids are sick, where you leave it at home. You're not going to be perfect at it. But without any accountability, I can assure you, uh, you'll go through the year and really struggle to spend time with him and his word. And so that's a great option for you. Ask a friend to hold you accountable. Join the Daily Wisdom Challenge. Do whatever you've got to do to try to walk in stride with the Lord this year and spending time in his word. Last thing you could do, Pastor Chris mentioned it in the opening, is the inside track. For some of you, you've been here at the church for a long time and you're feeling called to take your next step in getting involved, but you're really not sure what that would look like. Well, the inside track is the best place for you to get all the the resources and relationships and tools needed to take your next step. Whether that's joining a life group, if you just want some community, you want to make some friends, or a serve team here at the church on the weekends, maybe a missional community, if there's an area of need or darkness in the community that you're passionate about that you want to make a difference in. Or maybe some of you have been here at the church for a long time and you're like, you know what, we're not even really members, but I'm feeling called to make this place home. You know, the inside track is the best place for you to do that. God's plans for you this year are based on who you could be and not who you have been. Who you could be is determined largely by your willingness to respond to the Lord today. Can you imagine what we could accomplish this year if we focused on one thing instead of pursuing many? Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, You will seek me and find me if you seek me with all of your heart. I believe 2012 could be a year where we see the Lord do more than we could ask or imagine in our lives, in our church, and in our community if we will commit ourselves to seeking hard after Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for a new year. I'm thankful, God, for a fresh start. God, 2011 for many of us uh, was, was amazing and we saw you do some great things. And for a lot of us, Father, it was a season of struggle that we were excited to leave and, and enter into a new day. 
Father, I pray that you would, you would meet us now, God, that, that walking into a new year would be started by doing business with you. That if there's any areas of our lives that we've been stressing or striving to bring about change or growth, Father, that we could focus fully on following you, trusting that you are a loving God, a faithful friend who cares more about us and can produce more change in our lives than we ever could. So, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to you now. that that your spirit would be in the house and that you would do a mighty work uh, in and among us. In Jesus' name, amen.